The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. All right, welcome to MMA on the Rocks. You are listening to episode number 44. Today is Sunday, April the 23rd, and we're coming off a really action-packed weekend of MMA. Between Bellator 178 on Friday night, we had a title change hands, and the really action-packed card from last night, UFC Nashville, which was free on Fox Sports 1. And it was fight night 108, Swanson versus Lobov. So we're probably going to kick off with that. But before we get into it, let me welcome my co-host, Jeff the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you doing this uh, early Sunday afternoon? I'm good, Bill. I'm, I'm a little uh, uh, fight hungover, I guess you could say, with all the action we've had this weekend. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I didn't go to bed until like 3.30 in the morning because I was just ravaging social media and soaking up all the reactions to this card because it was just there was just so much going on and there was so much there was so much awesome reactions and and banter um mostly from ally quinta (laughs) so for anyone who saw uh, ally quinta's responses on twitter to this card uh he definitely uh wasn't too pleased with what was one of the best performances of his career and on the entire card, but he was snubbed for a bonus, and I think that pissed him off a little bit. But uh, let's start with the with the main event. So Cub Swanson, Artem Lobov, and there was a lot of backlash when this main event was first announced because a lot of people said, you know, why is a guy with a thirteen and twelve record uh, and isn't even ranked getting a main event slot? against a guy in Cub Swanson who is ranked number four in the featherweight division and why is Cub Swanson taking that fight? Uh, The answers are pretty simple to that. Uh, Artem Lobov, teammates of course with Conor McGregor, lightweight champion and pretty much dictator of the UFC at this point. So that's why he's in there in that main event. And why did Cub Swanson take this fight? Because Artem Lobov asked him to fight. And when you ask Cub Swanson to fight, you're going to have a fight. Because he does not back down from anybody. This is one of the toughest men on the planet. Man, it was a, it was a really awesome main event. It was a five-round war. And personally, I came out of it with a lot more respect for Artem. Because a lot of people thought if he had a chance, it was a puncher's chance. And he would have to get it done early. Uh, he, he came out and won the first round and he was very patient and technical, or I thought he won the first round anyway. And he, he took a beating from Cub and he really displayed, he has a great chin and he showed once again that he has very solid submission defense. You have to remember in the finale of the ultimate fighter, he survived having his back taken by Ryan Hall, who's considered one of the top jujitsu players in MMA right now. So Really solid skill set from Artem. I really feel like his stock went up even in a loss. I, I mean, he had a huge gash in his eyelid, and they almost the doctor almost had to stop the fight, but he kept going. And you know, the the guy's a machine. He kept coming forward, and you could tell Cub Swanson had a, a lot of respect for him after the fight. Jeff, what was your analysis of this fight, and uh, what did you think when the fight was first announced? At first, I thought that you know, I thought Artem Lobov actually didn't deserve a main event spot, but I thought that he would be a good challenge for Carlton Swanson. However, uh, last night, like you said, he proves he's got a tough chin. He proves to be an ample punching bag, in my opinion. Uh, he showed a lot of holes in his game, and yeah, he's got a tough chin, but he had no technique. He had very little head movement. He kind of just stayed in the pocket and just stood in front of Cub Swanson and took shots. I mean, yeah, he's got a tough chin, but I don't know if that makes you a good fighter when, you know, you're just standing there like a heavy bag. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I I think it, it's just impressive when when guys can take so much punishment and keep coming forward and and get put in bad positions like he was. Uh, Cub Swanson, not really known for his uh, submission finishes, but he did have Artem's back, and he is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Um, uh, my thought is that Cub Swanson is more of a a gi Jiu-Jitsu practitioner and he doesn't really threaten with his jujitsu a whole lot in MMA. Um, I don't know. For me, though, Artem's stock still still went up. I, I would like to see him get in there with another contender, possibly, uh, even though he's sitting at a 500 record right now, 13 and 13. Um, and, you know, a lot of people will argue that he was only in this position because of his relationship with Conor McGregor. Uh, that may be true, but... I mean, he went in there and survived against a very dangerous Cub Swanson who can definitely put a lot of people away, and he did it without a lot of head movement, like you said. Uh, someone who did have a lot of head movement, and unfortunately their head was moving uh, downward at a rapid pace into the canvas, and that was Diego Sanchez, just got annihilated by Ally Quinta, who came back from a two-year layoff and had basically a perfect game plan to completely dismantle Diego Sanchez, who came out uh, a little more patient than expected. But I like something that Brian Stan said last night, that uh, Diego, it, you know, sometimes he's known for rushing in and he gets into trouble for doing that, but he should have pressured Ally Quinta a little bit more before he had a chance to settle in and shake off the nerves of being away for two years and he took a break because he had some bad blood with the UFC and I think it's safe to say he has some worse blood with the UFC so uh, a really devastating knockout of Diego Sanchez and, and a beautiful display of boxing I thought he looked excellent in this fight and really kind of disproved uh, the idea of ring rust after you know selling houses for a couple of years he comes in and and beats up on a guy who is very tough to finish, and he did it in the first round. So, Jeff, what were your thoughts on this fight? Um, and how did, how did you think Iaquinta looked after the two-year layoff? And, and we'll get to the, the post-fight uh, tweeting rant <laughs> in a little bit, but what did you think <laughs> about the fight itself? Yeah, Al Iaquinta looked great, man. He didn't look like someone who hasn't fought in two years. And I th I agree with you in what you were saying about Diego Sanchez. I thought he was a little too tentative, a little too slow to pull the trigger, and it cost him because when Al Iaquinta pulled the trigger, he landed a massive right hand that just, I mean, I've never seen Diego Sanchez fold over like that. He folded over like a lawn chair, dude. It was it was a pretty devastating shot, man. Uh, Sanchez is a tough dude, so for Iaquinta to drop him like that is saying a lot. Yeah, definitely. And he looked good before that. He he looked really relaxed in there, and he had some some great head movement, and his counter striking looked so crisp. It, it was really, really one of the, I'd say, the best performance of his career, and and even more impressive that he did it coming off a two year layoff. Now, uh, he was kind of snubbed for a fight of the night bonus. Uh, so the bonuses went to Cub Swanson and Artem Lobov for fight of the night, which is usually a given if the main event is exciting they're usually going to give those guys the fight of the night bonus and then performance of the night went to mike perry who had a really devastating elbow to the face knockout over jake ellenberger it was really disturbing the way that ellenberger uh hit the ground and it's i'm blanking on who got the other performance of the night bonus? Do you remember, Jeff? Uh, it might have been Ovin St. Prue. I'm not too sure, though. No. Don't quote me on that. It wasn't him. It might have been Brandon Moreno, who uh, had a, a rear naked choke over Dustin Ortiz. Uh, I, I'm blanking on it, but I know one thing for sure that it definitely was not Ally Quinta because he took to Twitter at around 2 in the morning. And <laughs> I'm, I'm going to read this quote directly from Twitter because I don't want to... I don't want to get it wrong. So at 2.02 a.m., Ally Aquinta said, Hey, at UFC, 
Go fuck yourself. So, I I mean, I have a sneaking suspicion that he was a little bit unhappy. (laughs) And I, (laughs) I, I know I texted you. Uh, as soon as I saw this, and you were probably asleep because you texted me back this morning, but uh, I want I want to get your reaction to this. And uh, the funniest part to me is probably like the intern who has to watch the UFC Twitter feed overnight because there's somebody I'm sure that has to that has to monitor these things. And when he sees this mention come in from from Ally Quinta, because. I'm sure somebody saw it immediately because when you have a verified Twitter account, uh, there's a separate set of notifications for other verified accounts and and accounts that you follow that that comes through. And uh, so somebody somebody saw this and they they must have either been terrified or or laughing their ass off because it was probably like some intern that works for the marketing team that's just monitoring and wondering if he should call his boss. And wake and wake him up uh, <laughs> to let him know that Ally Quinta is on there, uh, and, and I'm sure the screenshots were going wild as well. Uh, what does she think about this, Jeff? Smart move by Ally Quinta, or or maybe not? Oh man, that's a that's a tough one, Bill. Because I, I get it. Ally Quinta's frustrated. You know, I don't know if he got snubbed from a performance of the night because that um, platinum Perry knockout was unbelievable it was ridiculous but we'll get to that later um so i don't know if Ayakinta is is totally wrong for saying that i think that he does have a genuine beef with some of the ufc's uh higher ups i feel like he hasn't been given uh the amount of respect that maybe he deserves but at the same time i think he's got to be a little bit more professional about it yeah fair points um and uh it's crazy that after such a spectacular knockout, he got booed by the crowd because he he said, hey, UFC, I'm the man, and the sooner you realize that, the better off we're both going to be. So he kind of like, he kind of went heel after an exciting performance, which is, which is strange, and we're seeing a lot of guys uh, playing the heel role, and he's like, yeah, yeah, boo me, whatever, and then when his when his coach handed him his Reebok shirt, he took it and blew his nose with it and then handed it back to him, which, uh, <laughs> you know, you're supposed to put the Reebok shirt on after your victory so the, the sponsor can get some airtime. Uh, whether you agree with the Reebok sponsorship or not, that, you know, that's part of what you're supposed to do. And he, he kind of gave a, a big fuck you to the Reebok sponsor. And when asked about what he planned to do next and who he wanted to fight, he said, maybe I'll just go back to selling houses. Um, So this is a guy who's really vocal about being unhappy with the pay scale in the UFC. And I would imagine that if he's up for a contract renegotiation, um, he would have done pretty well after a performance like that. Uh, What are your thoughts on all that, Jeff? Yeah, dude. I mean, Aikinta, he's 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 playing a dangerous game, man. Uh, I mean, I you know as well as I do that I am not an advocate for the Reebok deal. I think that a lot of fighters are losing money, but you know, Aikinta's playing a dangerous game here, and like you said, those contract negotiations would probably go pretty well after last night's performance. But after the, for lack of a better term, the temper tantrum that Ayakinta's throwing. I don't know uh, how big he is in favor, in the UFC's favor at this point. So we're going to have to wait and see. But, I mean, the, the dude can fight. I mean, that's what he's getting paid to do. But, you know, the, I think that the UFC is going to go through a performance review, and it's going to be a little awkward. Yeah, definitely very awkward. And I see this going uh, one of two ways. So they can either appreciate that he's stirring the pot and – and getting fan interest and, you know, kind of uh, backdoor make a deal with him, or they can completely turn on him and pretty much throw the book at him. Because from what I understand, Tennessee has a pretty strict athletic commission, and they've been fining guys for jumping over the cage. So they could probably fine him for jumping over the cage after his win over Sanchez. They can probably fine him 
for blowing his nose with the Reebok shirt. They could probably find him for not putting on the Reebok shirt after his win like he's supposed to do. And, uh, you know, after all that, you know, if he's not happy with his pay to start with, after you whittle it down uh, from all these fines, he's going to be extremely unhappy. So, uh as far as was it smart, I think there's probably better ways to go around it. But, it, you know, it, it's hard to argue the the heel method not working because there are guys who have done, you know, stupid and immature things like this. And it and it's worked in their favor. You know, the, the water bottle chucking incident between Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz uh, comes to mind before their fight at uh, UFC 205. Uh, so, yeah, I think he also tweeted about wrecking his hotel room. And uh, <laughs> and I don't know what he was talking about at his hotel room, but he said, we're going to wreck this place. Um, I, I I don't know what else to say, but I, it's fucking entertaining. That, that's for sure. Um, any other thoughts on the Iaconta Sanchez situation? And... and um, if he does come back, what do you want to see next for him? And what do you think should be next for Diego Sanchez? Is it retirement or do you, do you give him another chance in there? Quinta, you're right. It is entertaining. Um, as much as I want him to be professional, I mean, I'm enjoying watching him rant and stuff because deep down we all kind of want to do that about our bosses. But also, you know, it's been tried and proven that being a heel gets you somewhere in the UFC. I mean, look at Conor McGregor. He talks trash about literally everybody and he has seen a meteoric rise in the ufc as for diego sanchez um i think it might be time to hang up the gloves he's taken so much throughout his career um he's probably got tons of scar tissue so i think it might be time to hang him up and as for ally aquinta i would like to see him fight somebody else in the division uh, maybe someone like uh, uh, Bariel Der- um, Dariush mm-hmm. or in Edson Barbosa, someone along those lines. Yeah, I think you. I think you dropped uh, Paul Felder's name, and we were talking last night too. That might be a fun fight. Um, but yeah, I think that for Diego Sanchez, it it may be time to hang it up. He's the last active fighter from season one. Of the Ultimate Fighter, and we're on uh, we're on season twenty five, which I want to get into with you as well, Jeff. And I, I just uh, I just reminded myself about that. So we'll talk about the the premiere of uh, of Tough Twenty Five, which is uh, Pitt's former teammates Cody Nolov Garbrandt against TJ Dillashaw as coaches. Um, yeah, so it may be time to hang it up. I mean, he had. He had that really brutal knockout loss to Joe Lozon, and then he looked awesome against Martine Held and showed spectacular submission defense against a, a really accredited grappler, Martine Held. But, uh, I mean, the way just the, the way he got crumpled last night uh, really has to make you concerned for Diego Sanchez. And he's one of these guys you have to wonder what he's going to do when he doesn't have this in his life anymore because the guy's just a warrior and a maniac and uh it's kind of scary to think how he's gonna adjust to retirement life but um you know maybe they'll put him in there against uh you know an older fighter maybe bj penn will come back and have a rematch with him or 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 something like that something along those lines and actually eve edwards uh called him out on the UFC tonight. I don't know if you saw this after the fight last night. Uh, Eve Edwards was talking about wanting to come out of retirement and fight Diego Sanchez, and I believe he's in his 40s. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they start some kind of old-timers league with, with different rules or something, but I think we already have enough confusion with the rules as it is. So I think I'm just talking in circles right now. So we'll just move on. Uh, the fight before that, Ovin St. Preux, looking awesome uh against marcos rosario de lima silva I, I don't know he's got a lot of names and 
he was one pound overweight for each one of his names, I think. The the guy weighed in five pounds over. Uh, you all know my opinion about missing weight. I think it's unprofessional. I think it's uncalled for. I think it shows that you don't really care at, as, a, as a professional athlete. You're just not putting the effort in. Uh, so for me personally, I, I try not to root one way or the other, or I try not to uh, express that I'm pulling for one fighter over another just because I try to stay, you know, professional as a, as a, as a highly regarded <laughs> broadcaster. <laughs> um, e- even though I'm not even close to that, but I, I have to say that I, I do enjoy that guys lose fights, uh, when they miss weight. And the finish from Ovin St. Prue was just awesome. He was uh, one of the only fighters to ever hit a Von Flu choke in a UFC fight, and he did it a second time against uh, against Marcus last night, and he hit it from a really weird angle because his, his head was up against the cage, and the Von Flu choke is kind of like choking somebody out with your shoulder. It's, it's hard to describe, but it's really hard to pull off. It's You have to have long arms and... And you have to be able to approach it from weird angles. And this was definitely, I mean, it looked like Ovin St. Prue was caught in a guillotine. And then all of a sudden, you know, DeLima was tapping out. So what did you think about uh, the missing of the weight, Jeff? And what did you think about the finish from OSP? Uh, I'm like, you know, I agree with you, Bill. I don't like when fighters don't make weight. You have plenty of time to do it unless you get called up on a short notice, which happens. But I thought OSP put on a performance. We had been talking a couple of weeks back about whether OSP should uh, should still be in the UFC because he had racked up a couple of losses. But he looked good last night, man. He looked good on the feet. And Marcos, Rogerio, whoever. So he's a tough fighter. He's got a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I believe. And Owen St. Prue, no slouch in the grappling department himself. So for the second time in his career, he gets a long flute choke never been done before he might be one of the best in the ufc at getting that choke because it was like you said it was a weird angle he was also caught up in the half guard so he couldn't maneuver too much to change the angle and everything about this move is weird so for him to nail it like that is just he's a great grappler a great technician on the ground yeah yeah definitely it's uh it's kind of like that russian guy who who hit that choke from from being mounted, it's almost as weird as as weird as that. It wasn't a von flu choke. It was, uh, I, I believe, it was a variation of an Ezekiel choke, um, and he was mounted and he hit it. That was a couple of months ago, but yeah, it, in that same ballpark of strange. And uh, I think OSP redeemed himself after you know three straight losses. Uh, you know, he's a very unorthodox fighter. I think he's exciting to watch, and you know, those three losses were against. Uh, top competition. John Jones, of course, he went the distance with him. Then he got knocked out by Jimmy Manoa, and then he lost a decision to uh, Vulcan Ozedemir. And, you know, Manoa's about to possibly fight for the title, although I've heard now John Jones is going to get a title shot as soon as he comes back. But, you know, he's he's lost to top competition, that's for sure. So I, I would like to see OSP come back, and I was definitely impressed with that submission and the position that he pulled it off from uh, something a little less impressive. John Dodson uh, pitched a shutout against any Wineland uh, who's, you know, always a super tough opponent and Dodson, a lot of people will say played it safe and he was very defensive, but he busted Wineland's face up and Wineland didn't really lay a hand on him the entire fight. Uh, so not very eventful, but, uh, a big win for John Dodson, who expressed his frustration and then rattled off a list of names of guys who have refused to fight him. And he said, basically, like, you know, stop saying no so I can get in here and have more exciting fights. So kind of a kind of an odd character, kind of an odd fight. Not really what you would expect from Dodson. He's very explosive. Um, but he played it smart in his fight and and worked his defense. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, I thought this was a good fight despite some of the boos. 
And, you know, John Dodson had to play it smart because Eddie Wineland is also a really powerful puncher. He could knock you out easily. So I think John Dodson fought the right fight. And I think that the fact that while he didn't hit Wineland too many times, the couple of times that he did hit him, he he tagged him, dude. He, you know, Wineland's whole face was bleeding. So, you know, I thought it was a good fight for Dodson. Was it exciting? No. But it was smart. He got the win. And I want to see him get back in there against, you know, another 135-er who can who will actually take the fight. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's not a lot of appreciation for uh, defense in MMA, just just like it's highly criticized in boxing with, with boxers like Floyd Mayweather, who are on the on the defensive a lot. And, uh, you know, Dodson fought the same kind of fight when he fought John Lineker, who we know has knockout power in both hands. It's really hard to not get hit in MMA. And I think a lot of people don't realize this because in boxing, you have, you have like 16 ounce gloves, I think that you can use to cover up. And in MMA, you just have little four ounce gloves. So it's all about movement. If you're going to be defensive, so to move so actively that you're not getting hit by top-level competition over a 15-minute period, I think a lot of people don't appreciate the level of athleticism that takes. Uh, now, granted, it's not going to win over any casual fans. Uh, you know, It's not going to sell pay-per-views or anything like that. But I think that amongst people who analyze the sport and who appreciate the sport— um, you have to acknowledge how much athleticism it takes to to be defensive against high level MMA fighters for such an extended period of time. But uh, yeah, n- not going to be making any highlight reels anytime soon. Uh, another awesome fight on this card, and really controversial because of the judges' scorecards. Um, surprise, surprise. Uh, was a fight that was initially supposed to be on the undercard, and I'm, I'm glad they bumped this one up to the main card, and that was Joe Lozon and Stevie Ray, uh, the the uh, Scottish prospect who came in with a lot of hype behind him, and you know he's had some hot and cold performances. Uh, awesome fight, I thought. I thought the story of the fight was Lozon's jiu-jitsu, and he was able to really control Stevie Ray, and on the ground, who's a really tough guy to hold down. He's really explosive, and he's really good at getting back to his feet uh, where he can utilize his striking. I thought Lozon's boxing uh, looked pretty good as well. When he stayed in boxing range with Stevie Ray, uh, he was exchanging pretty well with him. I gave I gave Lozon the first round uh, by a score of 10-8. And that's because the new rules haven't been adopted by the Tennessee Athletic Commission. Uh, under the new rules, 10-8 uh, rounds are giving out are given out a little bit more liberally. And what used to be a 10-8 is now considered a 10-7. So if they had adopted the new rules, I would say that was possibly a 10-7 round for Joe Lozon. But they didn't, so I would say it was a 10-8 uh, because he was really dominant and he almost finished them a couple of times. The, the second round, I could see it going either way, but I scored it for Joe Lozon. And uh, the third round, I would have to give to Stevie Ray. Um, and he almost knocked out Lozon, so I could see giving him a 10-8 there. So I think if you score this one by the books, it's you know 10-8 for Lozon in the first, 10-8 for Stevie Ray in the third. And then that second round is the wild card that, that determines... The winner, but it seems like some of the judges had uh, a 10-8 for Stevie Ray in the third, but not for Lozon in the first. And I think that was the the biggest part of the controversy. I, I saw it two to one for Lozon, and then my other gripe with this fight, uh, before I get your thoughts on it, Jeff, uh, were the illegal elbows from Stevie Ray, which I think did the most damage to Lozon. Uh, Lozon was going for a double leg takedown, and Stevie Ray was repeatedly elbowing him on the top of the head which is very clearly illegal in every rule set in under any athletic commission. The referee told him to stop. Stevie Ray said, sorry, and then he kept doing it. Lozon switched to a single leg and then got him to the ground uh, where he continued to elbow him on top of the head. The referee told him to stop again. He said, sorry, again, and then he continued to elbow him on the top of the head, and I feel like that's what really wobbled 
Lozon. So when he got back up to his feet, he was kind of rocked, and uh, he just got into a brawl with Stevie Ray, uh, which is not a good idea because that guy is a very technical striker, and he was lighting Joe Lozon up. But to Lozon's credit, he hung in there for the rest of the fight, even though he almost got knocked out. That was a really long-winded analysis. So uh, let me get your thoughts on this fight, Jeff. I agree with you, Bill. I had the first round 10-8 for Joe Lozon. The second one, 10-9 for Joe Lozon, but it could have been could have gone either way. And then I didn't uh, give the third round a 10-8. I thought it was a 10-9 for Stevie Ray. Um, but, dude, I agree with you. I feel like Joe Lozon got robbed a little bit. I feel like uh, those elbows to the top of the head were not friendly, also not legal. So he should have been deducted a point at least for that. And, you know, as, as much as I... Lozon should have won. He did look really tired towards the end, especially uh, halfway through the second round. He looked exhausted from uh, from the ground and pound and from the grappling of the first round. Um, so credit to Stevie Ray, man. He's a tough dude. Um, and unfortunately for him, I still feel like Joe Lozon won. I feel like Lozon got robbed a little bit. Um, but, you, you know, good fight from both of these guys. Stevie Ray... Ruben, he's a tough dude, man. He almost got finished in that first round, and then he came back and went down swinging. So, you know, credit to both of these guys. But I still feel that Joe Lozon did get robbed just a little bit. Yeah, it's tough. Um, and there there was some questionable judging throughout the night. And uh, Joe Lozon's been involved in some weird decisions. His last fight against Marcin Held, he thought he lost. And he even said in the post-fight interview, I lost that fight. Uh, the judges got it wrong. And then the fight before that, he lost a decision to Jim Miller that a lot of people, myself including, uh, thought that he won. So his his last three decisions, it, it seems like you know a lot of controversy with the judges, which is unfortunate because Lozon is is one of the most exciting fighters of all time by far. Um, I always enjoy watching him fight. I think he's got twenty five finishes out of out of twenty seven. Uh, wins and I'm just pulling that number out of my head but it's something ridiculous like that uh, he's a guy who who always goes for the finish and um, you know Stevie Ray is, is a really exciting fighter as well and he really showed his toughness so I, I wouldn't mind seeing them uh, do a rematch but I would imagine they're gonna have Stevie Ray step up in competition I feel like they're trying to build this kid up and for good reason but I hope we see Joe Lozon back in there as well any other thoughts on this fight Jeff? Nope, I think uh, I think we got all our bases covered on that one. All right, so let's move on. Platinum Mike Perry, uh, God's gift, <laughs> uh, or so he has tattooed across his stomach, which is uh, you know very tasteful. Knocked the brains out of Jake Ellenberger's head last night. Just really brutal elbow to the face knockout, and the way Ellenberger hit the mat was just grotesque. I mean, he stiffened up before he even hit the ground. And you got to give credit to the referee uh, who stepped in there and and saved him from any extra damage because Perry was ready to come in there and pounce on him. Um, so the, the first round I thought was pretty pretty back and forth. And, um, you know, there were some, some good grappling exchanges there. And, uh, you know, they both landed some big shots, but... Uh, Perry displaying just ridiculous knockout power once again uh, against uh, a top competitor in Ellenberger, who I believe was ranked 13th in the division, which is strange because he's had a lot of losses lately. So you kind of have to question the rankings there. I mean, he had lost three of his last four fights going into this, and his before that, his last victory was was over Josh Koscheck, which. Uh, I know your feelings on Josh Koscheck, but uh, give me your give me your thoughts on Platinum Mike Perry, Jeff, and what you'd like to see next from both of these guys. Uh, Mike Perry, I didn't li- I liked him up until the post fight interview. Um, he wasn't very eloquent in putting together his thoughts, but the dude can fight, man, and I I enjoy watching him fight. I'm not gonna lie to you, Bill. And the way he starched up Jake Ellenberger was a little scary. I was a little concerned, especially when uh, Jake Ellenberger hit the mat and his head bounced off of it. 
you know, I've, I've always said that that stuff like that concerns me. That's concussion city right there. And, you know, hopefully Ellenberger's feeling better today. Hopefully he's okay. Um, but as for Mike Perry, man, I'd like to see him go up in his welterweight division. I'd like to see him take on somebody who's, uh, ranked a little bit higher, maybe a Donald Cerrone. I know he's coming off of a loss, um, or maybe a Matt Brown, someone along those lines. Yeah, that would that would be an awesome fight uh, because you know Matt Brown is somebody who would definitely stand in front of him. I agree with you. I um, I really enjoy watching Mike Perry fight, but uh, once he gets in front of the microphone, it's just it's cringeworthy. Uh, the guy really struggles to put a sentence together. Uh, I don't know if it's like past drug use or or something, but just the way he speaks it's not cohesive he doesn't really he doesn't really flow but i i mean it, i guess it's not his job to be you know an orator he's uh <laughs> the guy's the guy's a, a barbarian and a fighter and he's he's good at it and he just tore through jake ellenberger like like he was nothing and um i i have a feeling that might very well be the the last time we see jake ellenberger in the ufc uh i know he was he was hanging on by threads, and the UFC was about to cut him, and he 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 basically flew out and, and to the headquarters and, and begged for another fight, and he could prove himself, and he did by knocking out Matt Brown. But then he had that weird fight with Jorge Masvidal where his foot got caught in the cage, and, uh, uh, man, after this, uh, you, you got to hope that Ellenberger kind of thinks about hanging it up and i think the ufc will probably cut him after this unfortunately he's a guy who has put on really exciting fights in the past but yeah i i gotta say i would even really like to see mike perry against tyra woodley because and, and not that mike perry is deserving of a title shot by any means but just something about that fight uh is really exciting to me because it's it's two guys who are really explosive and really powerful and um you know, it would be watching. It would be like watching Titans clash at 170 pounds. So uh, that's something that I would really love to see, especially because you know who knows how long Woodley's going to hang around. He's he said that you know he's coming to the end and he wants to just to, you know put some stamps on his legacy and then ride off into the sunset, I suppose. But um, yeah, that's a fight that that really interests me, and you know maybe something like uh, Robbie Lawler. I know Robbie Lawler's supposed to fight Cowboy Cerrone pretty soon, so maybe Perry takes the winner or loser of that. That would definitely be exciting. But um, I mean, the guy's turning himself into a human highlight reel, so he's definitely he's definitely going to move up. Um, so like we always do, Jeff, um, you know, just to be considerate of time, I'm going to go through. Uh, a couple of fights. I'm going to rattle off three fights here. You let me know what you saw and which one struck stuck out to you the most. So we got Talis Latis uh, getting the win over Smiling Sam Alvey. And we got Brandon Moreno submitting Dustin Ortiz. And then we got Brian Barberina uh, knocking out Joe Proctor. Any of those stick out to you? I didn't watch uh, the the second two fights you mentioned, but I did watch the Sam Alvey fight, and it was a little bit boring. Uh, wasn't the uh, undercard main event, I suppose that it could have been. Yep. Uh, because both of these guys are really good fighters. Um, I may have to go back and check out the other two finishes, though. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they were really exciting. And then another another exciting finish was uh, Hector Sandoval, who I believe. It was only his third fight in the UFC, and he got caught in a really tight guillotine from Matt Schnell, and he picked him up and slammed him on the mat twice, I think, if memory serves me correct. It feels like forever ago that I watched this fight because so much happened uh, between then and now, uh, and slammed him and was able to pop his head out of a really tight guillotine and then just dropped hammer fists from hell onto Matt Schnell's face. And, and knocked him out. So uh, impressive victory there. I do believe that uh, Brandon Moreno was the other uh, performance of the night because he, uh, I think he rocked Dustin Ortiz and then sunk in a rear naked choke, and it was, it was really slick. But again, so much has happened um, that it's kind of hard to remember. And what's even harder to remember is 
that there was a card on Friday night from Bellator. Uh, it was Bellator 178 uh, that took place in Uncasville, Connecticut, which is the Mohegan Sun uh, casino and arena there. And uh, it was headlined by um, Patricio Pitbull and Daniel Strauss for the lightweight title. And Daniel Strauss was submitted with a guillotine uh, in the second round. And it was it was a really obscure setup for the guillotine because uh, Pitbull got his arm around Strauss's neck and they were still standing fairly straight up, which is it's hard to finish a guillotine from that position. And the way he just jumped straight up and wrapped his legs around Strauss um, was was pretty cool to see. Um, but, you know, it, it's kind of hard for Bellator to, I guess, market this division now because this was the third time that Pitbull had beaten Strauss, who was the champion. So, uh, I mean it's it's hard to market a champion like that when you have to have guys fight each other four times and, and not a lot of people even know about it. So it's not like it was this epic uh, series of fights. But uh, the finish was definitely interesting, the way he was able to jump straight up and get his legs around Strauss. Did you catch this fight or any of this card, Jeff? Yeah, this was a really interesting fight to me because, uh, you know, Strauss didn't look like he was in too much trouble up until that point. And the way Pitbull just brought his legs up, it was like one of those uh, claw machines that you see on the Jersey boardwalk that nobody ever wins. <laughs> yeah. Um, dude, it was it was nuts. It was like a rope just ching, you know. Um, so it was a good fight, man. I enjoyed it. But like you said, it is hard to market this division because this is the third time that they've fought for that title. So yeah. clearly we need to get this division more saturated. Yeah. For sure, and uh, I don't. I don't really know what the solution is there. I hate to be a problem identifier and not a problem solver, but uh, you know, I think they just need some more depth in that division, and they need a little bit of star power. Uh, you know, kind of the same problem the UFC is having with the flyweight division. There's no real trash talkers. There's no real uh, marketable guys that are gonna that are gonna put butts in seats, so to speak. Um, so something else that was impressive, first-round submission for uh, Alima Leigh McFarlane, uh, armbar victory over uh, Jessica Middleton, and it, it was a pretty vicious armbar. She she twisted her arm around a couple of different angles, and credit to Jessica Middleton wasn't tapping, um, and then, you know, finally just had to because every way she twisted, uh, she just got into a worse position. Did you catch this fight, and uh, what were your thoughts on McFarlane's performance? Yeah, this was a crazy armbar, dude. Jessica Middleton is a tough chick, man. She was fighting, trying to get out of it however she could, but the angle was just too tight, and then McFarlane kind of shifted her hips a little bit and bent the elbow over her hips. Yeah. So, or uh, I'm sorry, across her hips. So that just makes the armbar even more tight. Alima Lay, she might be the top of this division. Uh, and this presents a similar problem to the UFC's men's flyweight division now. Because I don't think there's anybody in this division who can beat Alima Lay. I mean, just based on experience alone. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I can think of one person who can definitely give her a run for her money. And that person uh, called her out on Twitter immediately after this performance. And that's a friend of the show the thoroughbred Colleen Schneider. So if you're Bellator, I think you got to make this match happen because uh, as we know, Colleen Schneider, really high level catch wrestler and um, excellent striker. So I think, I think that's an awesome fight that needs to be made. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, dude. So Colleen Schneider versus Alay McFarland looks like a really good fight to me, man. I think that Colleen Schneider's got enough experience in there and enough experience as a grappler to really give Alima Lay a good challenge. Because I don't see anybody else in this division with the experience to take her on. Yeah, all fair points. Um, so I think smart move by Colleen Schneider calling out Alima Lay, and I would love to see that fight. Um, so another fight that was really awesome on this card was Saad Awad and Ryan Quinn. And I thought these guys fought at such 
an incredible pace, especially through the first two rounds. Uh, they were going back and forth with some really great grappling exchanges. It slowed down a little bit in the third round, but um, yeah, just really awesome. I mean, they they had each other's backs. They were they had mounted each other. They were like just really high level grappling, and and Sadawad known more so as a striker. Um, but always always exciting. He's one of the most exciting fighters in Bellator, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for that because his fights are always always really explosive and uh, and fun to watch. And this one was no different. So Sadawad coming away with the unanimous decision. And then uh, the other most impressive performance on this card had to be A.J. McKee and his highlight reel head kick knockout over Dominic Mazzotta. And it, it was just awesome. Uh, the fight only lasted a minute and 15 seconds. So if you didn't see this one, Jeff... Uh, I would say you should you should run it back and check this fight out. AJ McKee, definitely uh, one of the brightest young stars they have on that Bellator roster. So if you uh, if you missed that one, uh, go back and check it out. And if you didn't, what were your thoughts on it, Jeff? I'm actually watching the highlight of the knockout, and it looked brutal, dude. I mean, AJ McKee just starched up his opponent, man. I feel bad for Zoda after that knockout. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it didn't look fun. Yeah, he just kicked him right in the head, so uh, not a good time. So overall, you know, pretty solid card. You you can't be you can't be disappointed with the amount of of free MMA action that we had this weekend between Bellator and the UFC. Um, you know, both putting on good shows. So all good stuff there. Uh, we're gonna have a little bit of a layoff with the UFC because their next card is not until May thirteenth which is UFC 211, Stipe Miocic versus Junior Dos Santos. And this card is just so stacked with so many exciting fights that uh, I don't want to get into it right now just because we have a couple of weeks uh, to go before this card. So we got plenty of time to break it all down. And this is one of those ones where I definitely want to go through fight by fight with you, Jeff, and uh, and get some predictions and, and breakdowns here. Um, so... Before we wrap up the UFC talk, let's talk about the the uh, debut of Ultimate Fighter 25, uh, which debuted this past Wednesday, and uh, they really built this season up. It's one of the only seasons of the Ultimate Fighter I've actually been excited to watch in a long time because of the way they built it up, and they built it up as another comeback season, which... Season four was the last time they did a comeback season, and that's the season that Matt Serra won and then uh, upset George St. Pierre for the welterweight championship. Uh, I feel like the drama has been excellent, and the buildup between uh, TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt, but it seems to be a house of very tired, very broken-in fighters so far, and um, that was evident in the first fight. I'm curious about your thoughts on um, on the build-up to this season, Jeff. Are you excited to watch the rest of it? And what do you think about the fighters in the house? The fighters in the house, some of them look like they don't want to do this anymore, man, which is a little disappointing. But um, one good example is um, Hector Urbina. I mean, he, he just was not ready to be in that house. He was, uh, he was weighing in at like 194 when yeah. the season started. And I think TJ Dillashaw did the right thing, man. He exploited that weakness. He made that one of the first fights, knowing that Urbino wouldn't make work. So, you know, I think it was smart tactically on his part. But what I'm really excited for this season, Bill, is the drama. I mean, episode one, we already have Cody Garbrandt grabbing TJ Dillashaw by his neck. And, you know, I saw a preview for week two, and it looks like it's going to be just as dramatic. Yeah, definitely. I. Uh- I'm excited to watch the rest of the season, and I agree. Hector definitely looked like he didn't want to be there. I mean, he was there with his his big, dumb glasses, and he shows up, like, way overweight. And this was a throwback to past seasons where we have guys, you know, Gabe Rudiger comes to mind where he's just walking around, like, eating cake the whole time, and he's like, I'll be fine, I'll make weight, and he's, like, 25 pounds over. And then he's like getting colonics and stuff. So kind of reminded me of that. But it, <laughs> it wasn't even as funny. It was just like this guy showed up way out of shape. And he was like, yeah, I just, you know, wanted to 
be here. And you can't even believe him when he says it. <laughs> he's like, and he's just standing there staring behind those big Coke bottle glasses. And it's like, like, dude, what are you, what are you even doing here? So yeah, yeah, it was... yeah. It's it's disappointing to see like so many guys coming into the house looking burnt out. But um, you know, hopefully they didn't put their best foot forward uh, with the fights because the the fight wasn't so great. Uh, in that in that first episode, and there were supposed to be two fights, but obviously uh, Hector didn't make weight. So, uh, you know, hopefully the action picks up a little bit, and and we'll be able to to get something positive out of this season. Um, you know, you got you got guys like Joe Stevenson uh, on this, who I believe was on the on season two or one of the really early seasons, and um, you know he's looking a little uh, a little uh, worse for wear as well i mean he's a it's a bunch of uh older guys and, and maybe they'd be more suited for the old timer division we were we were talking about putting together but you know hopefully i'm wrong and hopefully the action picks up and uh lives up to the hype between the coaches so and i'm i couldn't be more excited for this uh cody garbrandt tj dillashaw fight the other thing I'm excited for, I'm getting back into YouTube, Jeff. So I filmed a, a YouTube video yesterday um, making a bourbon whiskey cocktail. It's called Gold Rush. So check that out on YouTube. You can you can find it at MMA on the Rocks. I'll have that posted by the time this episode goes up. And, uh, you know, even though I was always told I have a face for radio, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to explore other avenues to uh to get this MMA on the rocks content out there. So I want to do more of the spirits based stuff on YouTube, I think is what I decided. So check that out and, and please send me some feedback on it. Reach out to me on social media at MMA on the rocks, uh, on all your favorite social media platforms, or you can go to MMA on the rocks.com. Send me a message that way. As always, if you want to get a hold of Jeff, it's at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. Uh, the, the guy didn't even have a Twitter when we started this show almost a year ago, and, and now he's a tweeting machine. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the uh, bourbon I used in the cocktail for the video, and it's Buffalo Trace Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, and uh, it's really a nice smooth bourbon. It's got a little bit of that whiskey bite to it, but for the most most part, it's uh, it's real smooth. And uh, I really enjoy it, you know, neat or on the rocks. And I really enjoy it in a Gold Rush cocktail. But I'm not going to tell you what that is because you have to go onto YouTube and watch the video to find that out. So any experience with uh, Buffalo Trace bourbon, Jeff? So, Bill, unfortunately, I have not tried Buffalo Trace. But I saw a picture of it on your Twitter account. And it looks really interesting. The bottle looks really cool. And where exactly is this from, Bill? Is it from Buffalo, New York? No, it's from Kentucky. So it's Kentucky bourbon. It's the Buffalo Trace Distillery in Franklin County, Kentucky. And Buffalo Trace are the the Buffalo is a reference to the Buffalo Trails that the uh, early American settlers used to go west. They basically followed the buffalo uh, across the country. So it led them to the west coast of our great United States and this Buffalo trace will lead you to bourbon glory and it's really delicious and I highly recommend it. So that being said, we covered a lot this week and I think that's all we got for now. So for the animal Jeff Wilson, I'm Bill Welker. Thanks for tuning in. Cheers everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>